Good morning. Yeah, good morning. <laughs> uh, I too just woke up. Fantastic. I mean, so you have two bleary-eyed, not so awake, not so cognitively yep. active people having a yep. chat. Yep. What better could you ask for? Yep. So, do you have something that you would like to talk about, or are Ooh. we just going to talk about like suck boats and Shoot the wind. cute pets <laughs> and? Well, actually, uh, I mean, okay. N- number one, this week has been hell. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because it's the week after um, uh, recess week or the week after the sp- uh, spring break in uh, yeah. American terms, which means that everyone's trying to get back to some kind of a uh, working groove, and uh, right. that includes me. And uh-huh. that means I think I've slept three days worth. I've had three days worth of sleep over the last five or six days. Okay, so which I, is I, not healthy. It took me a moment to 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 pass that because mm, yes, I my original interpretation of that was you slept three days out of the last five to six, but now I uh, I no, get what you no, mean. No, no. no. so on you have average had... I slept yeah well no in total I've slept you know about three times eight hours over the last five days. So you have had half the amount of sleep. Yes, that you're supposed to get. Yes. Okay, that's right. Uh, it's been a bit stressful, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, productive. You know, got research done, got marking done, uh, uh, starting new research collaborations as well. Because unfortunately, um, you know, I mean, this is this is the thing that 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 uh, is plaguing everyone right now. It's the uncertainty about how to proceed over the next few months. Yes. Right. I... So vaccination is proceeding apace, which is good in most right. many of the developed countries of the world. Right. So this is something that's that's interesting because for me, um, mm. like vaccination is just not really at the top of my mind right now. And that's because in Singapore, right. we at least are not on the immediate horizon for vaccination. Which is a, a interesting problem to have. Right. Yes. I mean, okay, so... Obviously, in the UK, in the US, vaccination there needs to happen because, you know, if they don't, they, they have no way of controlling the virus, the, the spread of yes. the virus. Yeah. Right. Um, for us, obviously, Singapore is actually doing vaccination relatively well. So the recent charts show that we have now outpaced the EU in terms of vaccination rate. Huh, but of course, vaccination rate is relative. It's relative yeah, because, yeah. you know, it's it's a measure of, uh, per, per capita. And, you know, if you have a smaller yes. population size, it will be easy. It's exponentially easier to, to vaccinate more yes. people per unit population than, than it's per continent. <laughs> that's interesting because, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I haven't been keeping track of how the vaccinations have been going um, mm. in, in the US and the EU. But I was under the impression, okay, this is also partly because, like, I look at Facebook, right, and I see some of my mm. old... Um, college classmates getting vaccinated um, and the impression that I get is just because well it is a very haphazard rollout in the US um, but because of you know community efforts like or, or, mm. or things basically like you know at the end of the day if we have an open vial um, you know you can kind of get like a just in time kind of I, I'm just like using um, 
not the correct term, but it's kind of like huh. ad hoc, right? Like you're not scheduled. Well, but okay. It's so I think that was. I think it. what you're describing is very much what characterized the earlier stages of the American vaccination effort. But I think yeah. now that um, you know, obviously, the political situation has slightly stabilized. stabilized. I think it's become a little bit more organized. I mean, put it this That's way: good. Uh, in New Mexico, right? They recorded, I think, just last week, the first day of zero deaths for almost a year. Ooh, that's nice. Uh, same for same with the Navajo Nation, zero deaths as well. Right, which, right. Uh, I, I mean, it's a good indicator since New Mexico and the Navajo Nation included up are uh, sort of, um, I think, the most highly vaccinated states in the entire US, despite you know relative right. poverty. The right. EU, on the other hand, has been a bit of a disaster. So there has been yeah. a, it's more, less coordinated than the US. Yes. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy over the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, yeah. for side effects, which I mean, a lot of scientists think is unjustified, unwarranted. I I mean, from what I've read, right, um, my understanding of it is, my understanding of it, which is extremely shallow, right, mm. uh, because I am not a doctor, I am not a pharmacist, I'm, yeah, whatever, mm. Um is I, I can understand why there is some frustration because this is another case of um, scientific literacy, right? Because if you have a vaccine that mm-hmm. has gone through all the vaccine trials, yeah. right? Then that is your entire body of evidence. And also you're breaking up a little bit, but I'm just going to keep talking. So Yeah, my internet's a bit wonky for some okay. reason. Yeah, carry on. So... You you have your entire body of, um, of evidence, right? And then when you have things like side effects and and and, and whatnot, right? Um, of course they are accounted for, but mm-hmm. at a minimum, the the kind of like minimum bar that you have to test is significance. Yes, correct. Right? So. Um- the thing is, when you are in the context of a trial, you have someone who is statistically literate who interprets that data. But once it's outside, you know, once you are rolling out the vaccine and you're rolling out the vaccine in massive numbers, right? Yeah. So you're t- saying like all across the world, like you have millions of people taking this vaccine. Yes, some of them are going to have adverse effects. Some of them are going to suffer things that are completely unrelated to the vaccine, right? Yes. All you need is a small number to make the news. And now you have this event that is statistically insignificant. Not to say that but people dying is a, is a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. But, or, or an mm-hmm. insignificant thing. But the fact is, yes. you don't know why it happened. Correct. And you cannot... Um, you don't have any. There, there is no um, link, or there is in, insufficient evidence, basically, to yeah. say that yeah. it is because of the vaccine. It is a classic kind of post hoc, ergo propter hoc kind Correct. of situation. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think for the for the scientists who worked on the vaccine, it must be very frustrating to see to oh, do realize that, <laughs> yeah. If this is an event that with, with, happened with the in the context vaccine, of the trial, what, yep. Yeah, what happened was yep. uh, blood clots occurred, right? And and you yes. know, people say, "Oh, blood clots! Oh, that's terrible! We have to do all this." And 
And I think someone pointed out on Twitter, and this is a very fairly, well, I think it was Carl Bergstrom, who's a fairly well-respected vaccine biologist uh, at mm-hmm. the University of Washington. He says that, look, you have to look at the, the rates of blood occurrence in, yes. in the natural population and then compare that to the, the rate you're observing with AstraZeneca vaccine. And it's not statistically different, right? I mean, this is something yeah. that you can do with fairly simple statistical tests. But the problem is, of course, that the general public is not statistically literate. Yeah. And I, so, you know... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I definitely feel their pain, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is... I mean, from a scientific point of view, it's very clearly not the right thing to do to stop the vaccine for any reason, right? Unless you're going to say that, okay, if we if we stop, even temporarily pause the AstraZeneca vaccine, mm. we have the ability to release other vaccines um, in place, right? If you're yeah. going to yeah. stop or delay people's vaccinations because of this statistically insignificant event, that's clearly yeah. the wrong move unless you can simply like replace them with another vaccine correct which but of so, course okay, so given, the, is, the, yeah. given the practical constraints on like i mean there, there's no replacement at this point every single mm. vaccine is is being used right yes. as <laughs> so, you read the vox article about uh, uh, uh vaccine efficacy numbers and what makes you know what's what the important numbers are it's a very good article I did not, so let me bring okay. that up. Also, so, I changed yes. my key switches, so they may be clickier than normal. I can hear the clickiness, yes. Okay, Okay. so Vox That's had a really, really, notes. really good article um, uh-huh. about vaccine efficacy numbers and why certain numbers can be misleading. So everyone talks about how we know, oh, uh, the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine are 95, 97% effective, and you know, the, the AstraZeneca vaccine is only, you know, what, 70-odd percent effective. Etc. Et you know, oh, you maybe you should then take mm-hmm. take this and that vaccine. Well, mm. um, so you know, and and at face value, all these numbers actually mean a lot, right? It means that oh, okay, I should take certain vaccines because they're more effective. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the explain that Voxpel is so good. It explains that basically, efficacy is just a product of how the trial is conducted. Not it's surprising. It's heavily biased by clinical trial design. Right, and it's just looking at the proportion of cases in your control and your 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 dose case that subsequently contract coronavirus after yeah. being vaccinated. Right. Yeah. What they what they argue, and I and I agree strongly with this, right? and I think most biologists would agree with 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 this article as well, is that the real number to be looking at is the proportion of uh, people. Who uh, who have been administered the vaccine, who have developed severe disease or have died from coronavirus. And yeah. that number is ex- is basically zero. Right, yeah. yeah. Which those is are why the argument who, is that... Yeah. Those are the ones who you would have noticed anyway. Right? Well, yes, but you know, in, in if, a, if you're in, in a clinical a, trial, you would yeah. be following these people's cases anyway. Correct. But I mean, I'm, I'm saying that, you know, in a, if they had been unvaccinated, these are the ones that mm-hmm. would have shown up in the statistics, right? If you have had COVID, yes. and especially in, if yep. you're not in a situation like Singapore where we basically have it under control. If you're in the US and yeah. you had the symptoms, but you, you, you had like loss of taste, let's say, okay, but yeah. loss of smell, loss of taste, uh, but you otherwise didn't have severe symptoms, yeah. you would not 
at the, the most you would go you go to a doctor you get the positive covid test and then you stay home right yeah. if you don't have the severe symptoms you don't end up in hospital um yes yeah so severe symptoms are the, are the real kicker here, right? It's, it's you know, yeah. does the vaccine, pro- which vaccines prote- uh, provide adequate protection against severe symptoms slash death? Yeah. And that seems to be all the vaccines, at least, you know, leaving aside the Chinese uh, and the Russian vaccines, because the data for yeah, those are a bit not, sketchy. Yes, let's not right. go there. Well, I mean, not sketchy, but the data for those have not been independently verified. Just put, yes. it, put it objectively, right? Yeah. So... So this is very important. You know, a lot of people quibbling about, oh, which vaccine should I get? Should I wait until this then that vaccine is available? Well, I mean, the only thing that should really govern whether or not you get the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine or the Johnson & Johnson or the AstraZeneca vaccine is your susceptibility to side effects. If you yeah. have a history of anaphylaxis, don't go for the, uh, Johnson, uh, the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccines. Wait for the Johnson & Johnson or the AstraZeneca. Right. That's it. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that... Makes a lot of sense. I okay. Makes so, a lot of sense. I mean, right? yeah. So I'm chatting with some of my friends, and then they're like, "Would you to do the vaccine?" And I'm just like, mm. "Why would you yes. not? Yeah. Why would you not? Like the risk of side effects, right? Is is minuscule compared to if you were weighing that against the risk of mm. severe symptoms from COVID or of getting COVID, right? Mm-hmm. It's Not just the basic but long COVID as well, right? You yeah, know, long COVID is another... Persistent, is the, yeah. Long COVID is a real worry, I think, because the thing about yes. severe symptoms, if you're young and blah, 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 it sucks. You get over them, like a bad cold. But long COVID is the yeah. thing that we don't know about. Like, you yes, don't know correct. what... How it affect your lifespan and, you know, your, your yeah. quality of life moving forward exactly. as well. It's, it's quite scary. Yeah, and I mean, if you're so, just weighing up the, the two risks, like, it's not even comparable. Yeah, I agree. Completely agree. So, okay, so, you know, rounding up the, the vaccination discussion, right? So, the vaccination is proceeding apace in the Western world because they need to. Mm-hmm. And for us here in East Asia, Southeast Asia, Australasia in general, vaccination is proceeding relatively slowly, even in Singapore, uh, because, I mean, our, I think we've mentioned this before, our real priority should be containing the virus rather than. Uh, or it should still be on containing the virus, containment measures, tra- yep. track and trace, and so on and so forth, yep. right? Now, the problem, and I think this is something that people have brought up as well, is that this does complicate our efforts to reopen borders, mm-hmm. right? Because, um, okay, I mean, our vaccination rate in Singapore is reasonable, but it's yep. also because of differences in um, 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 uh, contact tracing and management practices. Yeah. Right. If we have a single case, community case, community case reported here, we will isolate close contacts and then we will do contact tracing, uh, further contact tracing. Yep. In Australia, if a single case is reported, complete shutdown of the whole state. Yep. So yep. very different approaches. And this is challenging for me because I do need to travel to Australia to work. <laughs> and this is what I'm trying to plan for now. Right, That's because tough. before I return to the US for for my next semester, yep. I'm hoping to be able to get data collection done in Australia, potentially in Taiwan, potentially in um, in, in 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 the EU and the UK as well. Yeah, um, which is why you know right now, because ahead of my departure, I'll need to write all these grant proposals to apply for funding so that I don't have to pay out of pocket my airfare to fly to Sydney to go and look at some dead birds. Airfare to fly to you know Leiden to look at some dead dead birds there as well, 
But the problem is there's so much uncertainty over, uh, you know, the immediate sort of uh, uh, status of how people are going to be moving around that it's yeah. making things extremely difficult. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if Leiden would be on my travel list for... The foreseeable future? Uh, yeah, yeah, for a while, well, yeah. Never mind that, London as well, because I need to... Well, not London, London, but Tring, because I do need to visit oh, yeah. the Natural History <laughs> Museum in the UK. Yep. Um, and also the American Museum of Natural History in New York. New York, I think, is doing a little bit better, but even then, you know, you still want to be taking precautions. So, yeah. long story short, you know, I've been trying my hardest to secure a vaccination appointment in Singapore that so far has been unsuccessful because we're still not vaccinating our age group yet yeah um, and the Ministry of Health told me I appealed and they said oh you're not you know your case is not urgent enough for us to, to prioritize yeah. so you just wait sit pretty and wait um, yeah <clears throat> fair enough right my, but um, my dad yeah. is due for vaccination next week less than a week actually okay so my dad just got vaccinated so his yeah, first we're shot. down to and I think we're down to 45 59, yes. 45, right? So people 45 yeah. and above can get vaccinated. Yeah, and that's not even our parents' age anymore. Our parents are way older than oh, that. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, okay, it's, I mean, clearly we are, we, are, we are proceeding apace, which I think is good. So I don't think there's any need for us to panic vaccination-wise here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll get it when we can get it. Yeah. And I'm fairly certain that, you know, even even by a, a normal timeline, I'll be able to get my, my two shots well before August. Right. So that's, <clears throat> I think, not a major concern. But um, the, the bigger concern is, you know, is it possible to plan anything more than a month in advance I don't in these think kinds so. of circumstances? I don't yeah. think so. I mean, I'm seeing that, well, for one, I just got an email, like, couple of days ago basically um <clears throat> saying it was like a message to the pen community and then you open it and it's like huh. on campus covid rates are rising like, ah, great oh. awesome i mean as a remote student doesn't directly affect mm. me right but yep but you do see at a distance like how life is progressing on campus or not on campus yeah. as it were and yeah. it's not great, honestly. No. Um, and I mean, I'm I'm still, you know, I'm reading about like university life in the US or whatever. And mm. y- you see some things like, for example, there are some schools that are starting to say, um, you can come back on campus for the fall, but you must be vaccinated. Yes, I think that was, yeah. was it Rutgers that said this, I think? I don't know. I mean, honestly, it's probably a lot, a, quite a few schools that have announced a, a, a similar policy. Yeah. Uh, and I think, like, I don't know, I think like MIT Sloan has said classes will be in <coughs> person in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Oh, dear. But yeah, same I with UNM, know, which is why you need yeah, to go back by August. Yeah, but I don't know whether they have a vaccination policy. I, w- I would assume mm. that it's implied, right? Or that, yeah. you know, it's in the small print somewhere. So, um, yeah, the thing about Singapore and Singapore's vaccination rollout is I don't think probably um, the level of organization that we have around COVID, probably they're going as fast as they can. But Mm. I think there might be some uncertainty about whether they will get enough doses. And that's more, that's a logistical issue, right? The supply chain, yeah. Yeah, we have the ability to vaccinate everybody quickly but we don't have the vaccines. Mm. 
And yeah. I think that, you know, when looking at what's going on with the AstraZeneca logistics in the EU, I mean, we don't have... Yeah. We're not using AstraZeneca in, in Singapore, so it doesn't... Not you know, yet. It's not impacting us yet. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. there will be downstream effects, <coughs> especially if... Yeah, and I mean... Yeah. It's Thankfully or so, I think the vaccines yeah. are being transported by plane and not by ship because given yeah. the Suez Canal <laughs> fiasco, I, oh do, boy. Do they, are they really transporting anything by by ship? I mean, vaccine-wise. I don't think so. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know enough to comment. I mean, I would imagine that on the ship, it's really difficult to to maintain the cold chain. Really? For I the think ones it's probably that require. easier on the ship. Really? But the problem is it's a longer okay. transport time and you want to make sure that you get from, you know, source yeah. to point as, as quickly as possible. So yeah, clearly, I mean, I, I would imagine... Shipping, yeah, effort. I would imagine that actually shipping... There are probably more risks with shipping. Mm, potentially, yeah. Pot- for some <coughs> vaccines. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know enough to comment about this. But, you know, the, yeah, the, the, the Suez Canal thing is a fascinating situation. <laughs> yeah. Which look, I mean, to, okay, in fairness, you know, it's taken what, almost 200 years for this to happen. Um, I mean, <laughs> there have been, my understanding at least, uh, and I mm. should probably like go and look it up. But in the meantime, let me, let me pull up. Oh, whoops. I accidentally, I have, I rely a lot on like keyboard shortcuts and I just used the wrong one. Mm. So Ooh. where is this? Okay. So let me first pull up. Is the ship still stuck? Is that ship still stuck? <laughs> dot com. Um, yeah. Oh, oops. Not what only do I website. rely on keyboard shortcuts, but I also remapped one of my a pair of my keys recently, and uh, clearly right. I haven't rewired the muscle memory. So. Uh. It's got a great um, speed of zero kilo knots, zero knots at the moment. Oh, very occasionally the speed will be zero point one. So yes, because it's you know someone's trying to push it or it's yeah. that error, measurement error. From, yeah, <laughs> that's probably but, measurement error. Honestly, yeah. Let's face it. I think if it moved enough to be detected at zero point <laughs> one knots, I think the whole world would know about it. Yes. So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm fascinated by the responses to this. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, before before that, my understanding is that firstly, it's not the first time a big ship has sure. been stuck, yeah, yeah. right, in a waterway. Um, but it's the first time something of this magnitude has happened. Yes, because I think the, the one Canal. that's that's commonly cited is um, that a ship of a similar size got stuck in the River Elba in 2016. Mm. Of course. Hamburg yes, is a so, yeah. <laughs> Hamburg is a big port, right? But it's not the Suez Canal. Yes. Um, the effects, no, I think, are much Canal. more localized. Right. If you know, yes. if a ship gets stuck, you know, in yep. Hamburg's waterways. Um, <laughs> I've I've been fascinated by the responses to this, and honestly, mm-hmm. I'm I can't say I'm a fan of a lot of the. Hmm. The, the the dialogue Hysteria? around it. Hysteria, yes. Mm. So, okay. All right. Well, yesterday, the, so is the ship still stuck has like the top three headlines from the New York Times mm. um, about the Suez Canal saga. Mm. But 
Um, yesterday there was one on the New York Times. Okay, and Suez Canal globalization. So there was a one about how you know this um, is a warning about excessive globalization, which oh I saw that one, which is like, oh my god. I'm um, this is of course the New York Times version of the hysteria. But if mm. you look in the comment section of just about anything... It's worse, right? yeah. Yeah, you just get about like, you know, why are we shipping stuff from China? And all that oh, kind of... Boy. Yeah, and all... <clears throat> I mean, you make it yourself in your of, house, lah. Yeah, exactly. And it, it just comes <clears> out... <throat> this uh, <laughs> is a fundamental uh, lack of understanding, right, about economics and globalization, as if globalization is a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it is not right. And uh, the whole, you know, why are we shipping stuff from blah, 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 blah. I, I, I don't think this is about economics at all. That is very clearly about nationalism. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, economics is very clear on this. Like self-sufficiency is, yes, is, is not good it's for fun to everybody. Have. It's fun it's to fun have. It's fun to yeah. have, but impractical to... Obviously, to when it comes to things like, um, that are, you know, that are defense critical, let's say, or survival mm. critical. Yes, you want to have some level of, of um, self-sufficiency. I'm trying to look for a word, but it's not redundancy exactly. Well, it is redundancy, right? It, yeah, it redundancy is, a, it is, is the is right re- word. Redundancy, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, it is. yeah. Basically, you just want to make sure that you're not you're not overly reliant on any single source, right? Or mm-hmm. ideally, if yeah. you can do it in house, right? Or you know, just in your own country, that's obviously better. But yeah. if I don't think most people are prepared for what actual self sufficiency or autarky would be. Yes. <laughs> That's, it's not... What would it entail and all the... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, it is I mean, not what you want. Oh, But also there's been a rather more interesting nuanced discussion happening around the Suez in terms of, you know... Um, I, I, and this, I, I thought this was a very interesting take. I saw this thread on Twitter, which I, I probably won't be able to find again, which talked about how, considering the size of the ship, the narrowness of the canal... Right mm-hmm. and the situation, the circumstances under which the ship got stuck, which is you no know, huge winds and power failure, it's amazing. Nothing worse happened. It's amazing. Not a single container fell off the boat. It's amazing. I there was no. I've been wondering about that. Yeah. Right. There wasn't any catastrophic damage sustained by the, by the vessel as well. Um, Yet. And and what this well no, but what this suggests, at least what the Twitter thread seems to seems to 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 mention. This was written by I think a sailor. Is that. Uh-huh. Um, this points to the skill of the crew in making sure that you know even under such challenging conditions, um, no major no major uh, uh, harm uh, caught, was caused, right? Yeah. Except for some damage to the side wall of the of the canal. No crew yeah. were injured, no yeah. cargo was lost, and no damage yeah. was sustained by the vessel. Yep, yeah. I mean I'm sure there will be a post mortem after this mm, right. prob- well well I mean uh, I wouldn't be so sure about that because it's Egypt we're talking about <laughs> yeah well um, some so, people 
who will try and study this event. How about that? Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, fair enough. But I mean, even if it's not Egypt, I'm sh- I'm sure you know the maritime industry will take an interest. In sure. Yeah. In figuring absolutely. out what happened yeah, because you know, well, not yeah. just that, but making sure that this doesn't happen again, given how crucial. Yeah. I mean, the Suez Canal, but also the Panama Canal, right? You know, all these these uh, yes. really narrow canals that are so critical to to global shipping. But I mean, it, it it is true that you know, um, as far as these events go, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, could have been right. way, way, way worse. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I'm. I'm. Um. This. This. This is a kind of curiosity, right? But it's like, is there like air crash investigations for for boats? Like, what's that show? <laughs> Mayday, I guess. Mayday. Right, the show that investigates. I'm like, sure Discovery Channel must have done yeah. like at least two or three series. I mean, come on, lah. This is exciting TV. You know, which yeah. channel is going to pass up on this? But I mean, on your on on your note about on on your note about the fact that they actually, you know, all things considered, the of course the the impact, right? The economic mm. impact is great. Oh, it's huge. The, yeah, yeah, but the human like cost oh, of course there is some human cost right but we are coming back to the fact that um there are no injuries there are no deaths yeah i mean so the immediate the immediate casualties you know the fact that there are no immediate casualties is amazing however of course the yeah. the spillover effects are going to be massive especially for us here right yeah. because um uh global shipping traffic has not abated during the pandemic in fact it's yeah. probably gone up a little bit right yeah. but uh, but uh, at the same time the number of available manpower, amount of available manpower for handling shipping traffic has gone down because of quarantines and because yes. uh, the shipping, well, the, the shipping and the, you know, the, the oil industry has been especially exposed to, to the virus because of international travel from ships. Yeah. yeah. So I think I was speaking to a transport researcher here uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. just yesterday, and she mentioned that, uh, uh, we've actually slowed down our turnaround time in our port just because right. of manpower shortage. And so this is a backlog that we are still trying to get a handle of and the slowdown in global shipping is only going to make things worse as well. Right. Right. I'm I'm thinking of um I guess this is a concept. I don't know if this is a concept that originated in aviation. I probably I I, I kind of doubt it. Um but it's very commonly heard in aviation which is the Swiss cheese model of of um, I is it like the Swiss cheese model of of disaster prevention or something? Uh, well, not disaster okay. prevention, but Swiss cheese model Wikipedia. Let's go. Um, oh, it's just Swiss cheese model. Swiss cheese model of accident causation. Right. No wonder I couldn't get it. Accident so, causation. Yeah, and so this is. Um, something that um, basically whenever an air disaster happens, mm-hmm. I go on P Prune, which is the pilot yes. professional pilots rumor network, and yep. I read about what the professional pilots and many other non-professional pilot bystanders, because <laughs> the internet um, yes. are saying about it. Yeah, because I'm al- I'm always curious to know like what do the professionals think about it basically, um, especially. I, okay, I think this is also part of, you know, the accident investigations take forever. Yep. And yep. you want to 
kind of have an expert opinion early on. And some would say mm-hmm. that Peeprune is not the place to get expert opinions, but yeah. it's the closest you can get, right, in the yeah. in the wake of um, anything that is is hypercurrent. So yeah. um, certainly in aviation, I talk about this all the time, the Swiss cheese model is this idea that you cannot fully prevent many adverse events from happening, mm-hmm. but a, an accident is not usually does not have a single cause. And that's because right. in a mature field like aviation, right, if an accident can be traced back to one clear cause, mm. it, that cause is very quickly stemmed. Yes, right? correct. Yeah. If you Points know failure, that yeah. The, yeah, there is a single point of failure, you fix that point of failure. And yeah. so in practice, most accidents happen because multiple things failed. Simultaneously, I mean, which is why also the the Boeing Max uh, 737 thing was so egregious because it was a single point of failure. It was was a single point of failure, exactly, yeah. Yeah. So so, um, they refer to all the accidents happening, right, Mm. as the holes lining up (laughs) in the Swiss cheese, Mm. right? The layers of all the holes in the cheese line up. Yeah, Yeah. and the the idea that you want to, what you want to, try and do right is you accept that there are good there is going to be some degree of failure at each mm-hmm. point yeah uh what yep. you want to do is to prevent that failure from propagating you know through the layers yeah um and i think going back to the going back to the ever given case right it sounds like yes there is, you know, the result is that we have a huge ship stuck in the, in the Suez Canal. Hmm. But it sounds like probably because of some kind of SOP, training, precautions, whatever, right? A lot of other things stayed in place. So yes. now there's only one problem to solve instead of several. Well, I mean, unfortunately, there are several problems to solve with this because, you know, getting the boat mobilized, refloated again is going to take a fair amount of work. Be, yeah. Right, because the boat is stuck. It's quite clearly stuck. You know, there'll be like four or five tugboats trying to push it up and none of that has been working. So clearly what needs to happen is need offload cargo. I mean, basically the reduced weight. So offload cargo, discharge ballast water, uh, maybe even use up fuel or or offload fuel as well in order to get the boat as light as possible so they can refloat it and then move it out. When you put it like that, it sounds straightforward but i mean all of those not. come with their own set of risks yes. that have to then Correct. be mitigated like well you need to, like, you need oh, to yeah. maneuver a crane beside the boat to get all the cargo yeah. off in the boat. that's actually going to be very challenging it is going to be very challenging um but i'm thinking of something like you know offloading ballast water the hmm. reason the ba- ballast exists for a reason which is to lower the center of gravity well, yes, uh, and yeah, top, you know, toppling. But the other thing also is, of course, there are international regulations about ballast water discharge as well for invasive yes. species management. Because ballast water will contain right. larvae of you know all these marine creatures from where you pick up the ballast water, and if you just right. discharge it any which way, you are going to introduce new species into ecosystems as well. That's that's interesting. That is that would not have been on my radar at all. Mm. This is something that I previously worked on. For my research, <laughs> when I when okay. I had designs on being a marine biologist, despite not knowing how to swim, 
<laughs> oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm gonna like grab that, grab that segue, and hmm. force it to a discussion to about animals. Yes. Oh well, I, there was actually so, a very interesting story that just came out in the Atlantic uh-huh. this week that I was hoping to talk about as well. So, okay. <clears throat> um, in 1996, do you have the link to it. I do have the link. I'm going to paste it in the uh, in the show notes. Cool. So, in okay. 1996, there was a very interesting um, uh, uh, occurrence uh, that puzzled a lot of people. Uh, that was, hang on, now. Well, I lost the article. 1986. Okay. 1996. 1996. Um, basically, right. 1996, during the Bill Clinton administration, a bunch of eagles died. They just showed up dead. All right. Right. And this was in... Um, where exactly was this? I need to look it up. Um, this occurred in DeGray Lake in Arkansas. So, Bill Clinton's Lake. All right. home state. Home right? backyard, yeah. Yeah, his home backyard. A whole bunch of uh, bald eagles just died. Uh-huh. Um but, you know, eagles dying is okay, you know, happens sometimes. But what was more puzzling was that those eagles showed signs of visual impairment and erratic behavior before they died. They were flying into walls, flying into cliffs, stumbling around, wings droopy. And that was a huge mystery. Bear in mind, 1996. This mystery has only just been solved this year. And it's a fascinating story. I recommend, strongly recommend you read this great piece in the Atlantic uh, about how the cause of death or the cause of mortality was discovered. Basically, wow. <clears throat> long story short, right? The, this, this obviously is a toxin that was being produced in the environment and this toxin was being produced by hydrilla. Well, it's being produced by cyanobacteria that live on hydrilla. Hydrilla being, you know, that common aquarium plant that we see all over the place. Yeah. Right? Hugely yeah. invasive plant in the West as well because it naturally grows very easily in waterways. Um, and it was this confluence of hydrilla creating an environment mm-hmm. for cyanobacteria to grow and uh, bromide discharge into the water, uh, probably from pollution, Aww, that allowed okay. for this toxin to be produced that caused this um, uh, 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 brain damage in birds, basically. Mm-hmm. And it took 25 years to solve this mystery because, number one, they had to f- figure out how to synthesize the toxin in, in the lab. And then when they did, you know, they had a collaborator in Germany who was able to synthesize the toxin from the cyanobacteria in really, really small quantities. They realized it wasn't toxic at all. And that's because in the growth medium, they didn't have bromine. Right. And it was only after they realized okay. bromine is the reason that they figured out this is probably why those birds were showing signs of brain damage. Right. That's... It's um, ridiculous. It, 25 years. I cannot countenance, you know, just plugging away at a research problem for 25 years. I mean, this is actually a really good example of the Swiss cheese model. Mm. Right? Because you, it, it, you it really, really need everything to fall <clears throat> perfectly in place before you see yep. this exact set of circumstances. That's yep. really interesting. I mean, okay, this is... An even better opportunity to to now talk huh. about Bondi Vet, which is yes, my Vet. latest obsession. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay, so it, it <laughs> began with it began with first on Facebook, right? There is the Watch tab, and yes. I oh watched yes, that. I have to admit, I spend probably more time than I should watching <laughs> viral animal videos on Facebook. Okay. 
Okay. So, um, Facebook started recommending me some show, some clips from this show called Bondi Vet. Yes. And at first, I'm like, I'm here for cute animal videos, not for like cutting open animals or sick animals. But at some point, <laughs> my curiosity got the better of me, and I'm pretty sure. Um, I don't know which one was the first, but I know one of the early ones was um, about a Labrador who has eaten a rock. Okay. And the thumbnail showed the vet with her hand up the Labrador's bottom. Oh dear. So, <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, it's either, it's either, either end, right? You only have two. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, 50, it could 50. be surgery and then you take it off in the middle. Mm, that's, <laughs> that's true. That's also yeah. possible. But, um, yeah, I started watching the clips and then I finally graduated to the YouTube channel. Watching the whole after, show, yeah. <laughs> after a very long time. Although, to be honest, um, I've also realized that I've watched so many clips that I've kind of... There are some episodes where I've basically watched the whole show just from the collection of Facebook clips. I mean, uh, sure. Yeah. And so Bondi Vet, it came about because... Um, well, I, let me just say what the show is about, right? In its original incarnation, it's about vets in Sydney. Yeah. Very straightforward, yes. right? It's just about vets in what Sydney. What a concept. I know. They just follow around um, uh, a few vets in Sydney. Yes. And then they look at interesting cases, unusual cases, uh, common cases, but mm -hmm. things that often you don't think about because you let the vet handle it, right? It's like, yep. oh, my dog ate something they shouldn't bring to vet. <laughs> yes. And then, and then the dog comes out fine. Yes. Right at the other end, and you're just like, okay, great, yay, good job. But the vet portion is a black box. So yes. they go through, um, you know, the, the thought process, the treatment, and, and, and everything. And it's actually really fascinating because I, I think this is one of the areas that we don't often... Um, it's, I, I think, like I, like I said this is a kind of professional work that for a lot of people is a black box mm -hmm. because um, we most people are not equipped, right, to talk about anything to do with vet medicine. Yeah. Um, and yet, many people have pets. Yes, correct. Right? Yeah, it's why and vets I think, can charge so much money there as well. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if, if you're talking about, you know, the world of like... Um, human medicine mm -hmm. there's there's been a lot written about it there are so many medical memoirs um yes. you know there are like lots of shows both factual and non-factual if you want to learn mm -hmm. about it and just on a regular basis you just interact with a doctor much more often than a vet um yeah yeah but i think then there is the other side of it which which i think is part of the appeal, which is the problem-solving process, <clears throat> right? Of yeah. course, they know more than you do, <laughs> and they have a bigger range of experience to draw on, but the diagnostic process is 
you're 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 still watching somebody solve a problem, and that in itself yeah. has an appeal. Yeah. Um, and I think okay, then there is the other factor, which is Australian wildlife. <laughs> it's a special kind of right? wildlife. It's this common uh, <clears throat> refrain that you see in the YouTube <clears throat> comments that everything is cute or trying to kill you, or cute and trying to kill you. In Australia, yes. <clears throat> often, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, more often it's actually both at the same time because this is Australia we're yes. talking about. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you know, and even the cute things like kangaroos. Bloody hell, kangaroos are violent. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, even things and... I find cute that people don't normally find cute, like huntsman spiders. Actually, no. Uh, huntsman yeah, spiders are an interesting yeah. one where they're cute but and they won't try to kill you. But unfortunately, most people don't see it that way. Yes, I mean, <laughs> I'm not ever going to be a fan of spiders, I don't think. You won't get killed by a huntsman yeah. spider. But, yeah. you know, yeah. I think the other thing Those about vets, right, is that, of course, in a city setting, right, they deal mm-hmm. overwhelmingly often with cats and dogs. But, but it's um, Australia where the cities contain weird shit as well. Yeah, but also... Um, they have to deal and have to be able to deal with wildlife. Yeah, right? yeah. So the episode that I'm currently watching, actually, which I actually saw on YouTube, uh, on Facebook already, but I'm just, I am methodically going <laughs> through all the available episodes on YouTube because huh. they've very kindly put up all the full episodes on YouTube. Oh, how wonderful. Except for some, which, <clears throat> well, not even some, except for quite a few which have, I, I'm guessing, copyright issues or rights mm. issues in general. Yeah. Um, so the current episode that I'm watching includes a turtle that huh. has a broken shell. Oh, oh, those are not pleasant. No. Those, yeah. Those require a fair amount of work. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> basically, you're, you're guessing at what happened, right? Because basically, it's just a turtle mm. that's been brought in to a turtle sanctuary. Yeah. And the shell is cracked. And their guess is that it was actually cracked by a boat propeller. Ooh, ouch. Turtle as in like sea turtle, not a terrapin, right? Turtle, yeah, sea turtle. Oh, shit. It was out at sea. Yeah. That is really not pleasant, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So it goes crack, crack, uh, and the the cracks seem to follow like, you know, a slightly... Um, that radial pattern that yeah. you would expect from a from a propeller, and yeah. Um, yeah, and then it's a long, slow process of figuring out what exactly is damaged. Is it just the shell, or is it also the lung? Yes, uh, I think in this case it was the shell. Okay, and then okay because so that can be repaired relatively easily. The way you would set, say, a bone, you put cement on and you set it. Yes. But I mean, it's the same thing with you know anything that is yeah. anything that is vascular heals relatively mm-hmm. quickly, right? Because you get yes, blood, constant blood true, flow yeah. to it, but not bone yeah. and that's not right. shell. So yeah. it's a very slow process of healing before yeah. and the turtle for is a actually slow ready. growing animal like that as well. It's going to be yeah. yeah. Actually, there's something interesting that was mentioned prior to the arrival of the of the boat propeller turtle. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a turtle at that turtle sanctuary um, okay. that had a um well I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this. I think it was a fibrous papilloma. So okay. it had growths all over its body. Mm, right? right. 
and the growths had to be surgically removed. Yeah. Um, but I think that growth was also caused by some kind of virus. Mm, right. Makes sense. So what they did was they removed the growths and mm-hmm. then they extracted some... I, I'm Okay, I'm not going to attempt <laughs> to sound scientific. They used the growths to produce a vaccine. Oh, okay. Oh, and that's interesting. The, so the vaccine is specific to that particular turtle and the yep. virus that that turtle encountered, right? Contracted. So yeah. then, yeah. yeah. So they then vaccinated the turtle with oh, wow. the virus um, mm-hmm. or with a vaccine made from the virus that they removed from the growths, which is obviously interesting, like not just from a veterinary perspective, yeah. Right. But apparently, I think they said that was a first in Australia. So, oh, nice. I, I think when you are dealing with wildlife that, well, I, I shouldn't even say wildlife, right? But when you're dealing with anything that is a relatively uh, arcane field, I think a lot of the mm-hmm. time, <coughs> you don't really have a fallback. Like, there is no way to say error. we did it. It's a lot of trial and error. Yeah, it's a shit ton I of talent. I mean, I speak as someone who deals with wildlife issues on a regular basis as yeah. well. Yeah, and I mean, you can tell in the you can tell in the in the shows, especially when they're dealing with wildlife, that mm-hmm. a lot of the times they are just using their general knowledge and making a very educated guess. Right? They'll yes. say, "I've never done this before, and then it will work." Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was one case where there was a bird with some kind of nerve or muscular damage so it couldn't mm-hmm. close its its claws it couldn't perch mm-hmm. mm, yeah and, i've heard um, of that before yeah yeah and the owner said what are we gonna do glue it to the perch <laughs> <laughs> and the vet said <laughs> yeah i think that is exactly what we're gonna do <laughs> so they just secured the bird to the perch Right, and then they give the bird physiotherapy. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, Good and Lord. it worked. Okay, it worked. Yeah, I'm just glad I don't have to deal with the with living birds. I just deal with dead birds, which you know in itself is is a fairly interesting situation because you know you encounter all kinds of injuries that you have to deal with. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, in in the perfect in the perfect world, you know, you have a, a dead body in front of you and you dissect it, and there's nothing, you know. No internal bleeding, no no internal growths, no 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 nothing. So I've never encountered growth since yet, as of yet, but I have encountered lots of internal bleeding because unfortunately, most of the birds I pick up are widow strike cases, mm-hmm. right? So naturally, there'll be some bleeding going on inside. Some of them have eaten yep. poison as well, so there will you know, and the right. usual poison that we we put out is uh, warfarin, which I think many of us will be familiar from uh, A level biology, O level biology exam questions. Well, neither of which warfarin I did. is a Ah, well, fair enough. Warfarin oh, wait, is warfarin a is a blood thinner, right? Yeah. Yes, okay. it's a rat poison. Actually, I do know Commonly that. Commonly used in rat poison. And yeah, exactly. It's also used in humans as blood thinner. <clears throat> um, and because, you know, if we use, if, if these birds ingest warfarin, they will start bleeding internally. And so when you right. cut open the body, blood everywhere. There is um, a surprising incidence. Well, surprising to me, right? I'm sure it's not surprising to, to vets or anybody who works with um, companion animals. There's a surprising incidence of attempted poisoning on the show. Oh, yikes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, several times 
you know, an owner has rushed in an animal, mm-hmm. uh, usually a dog, and mm-hmm. the dog is trembling, having kind of, you know, like seizures yep. and so on and so yep. forth. And the vets straight away they're like, "Poison." Do you have problems with the neighbors? Mm. Yeah. Yep. You know, um, and yep. sometimes it's really. You know, they they inject um, a drug that makes the dog throw up, and the yeah, yeah. the telltale sign is that their vomit is green. And yes, yes, yeah, and that's snail bait. I have learned. Oh right, um, okay, yes. Yeah. And yep. I think the other one that was really really insane to me, at least, was um, paracetamol is toxic to cats. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, in one of the early episodes, somebody's cat was poisoned with paracetamol that was not given by by the owner, right? So presumably somebody, for some reason, decided to feed a cat paracetamol. Yikes. Yeah, and you can see the vet's reaction was, was instant, right? Like the person yeah. comes into the hospital and says, my mm. cat is doing this thing. I don't know why. And right away, the vet is like, okay, thank you very much. I'll take the cat now. Just wait. Okay. And yes. then she turns the corner and she starts running. Yeah. And I mean, okay, to be like, fair, some of this well, is obviously TV, TV magic. But, you know, in many cases, a lot of this is, you, you know, if you have, especially pets, right, which we have sentimental value, you have to rush this you have to rush some of this treatment because... Yeah, I mean, I, I would... It. In this particular case, I would argue against the TV magic, right? Because mm, they don't know right. that this cat is going to come through the door. And mm. you can tell that as soon as the vet is out of sight of the owner, yeah, yeah, yeah. she starts to... Because in front of the owner, yeah. Yeah. you can't say your cat <coughs> is in really big trouble, bedside right? Manner. <laughs> yeah, bedside manner, Exactly. Right, but the moment she's out of yeah. sight of the of the owner, she's like, "Okay, this is really, really bad." Well, I mean the <clears throat> the the broader thing that this this show does bring up, and I and I appreciate this what this show is trying to do as well is that it highlights. Sorry, my internet's a bit wonky. Um, it highlights that uh-huh. general the general public know shit about dealing with animals. <laughs> it is it is that true. People I are generally I mean, stupid around animals, wild or otherwise. I I have been surprised. I would say, maybe maybe I shouldn't be, but I've been unpleasantly surprised at how often, um, you know, you would expect a pet owner to know something and they don't. Like the degree you shouldn't to which be surprised. Their pets are are actually harmed by the owner's actions. Um, yeah, and this is yes. a case of, and of course, in the in the comments, there will be you know you should not let your cat outside. Uh, because uh, besides oh, the fact that they get up to jeeps, actually, I mean, this right? is a this is a whole episode on itself. Yeah. <clears throat> this in its, in itself a whole a whole episode because you know the 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 dead bird community, shall we say, or the, the the ornithological community. The consensus right now is that outdoor cats are not good. Yeah. For very obvious yeah. reasons, right? Outdoor cats kill birds. Yeah. That's number one. But number two, outdoor cats are exposed to much uh, more stress than, yes. than oh, sorry, a huge. Falset spider just landed on my desk for some reason. What's going on? Hello, where are you going to? Where are you? F- 
<coughs> Where is it? Sorry, I there's mean, a faucet but hanging in mid-air in my, in my room. It's, it's not that big. It's a, faucets are fairly small, but it's, you know, it's one of those what they call daddy long legs. They have really, really long legs. Yes. Hi. Hello. Go eat the flies, okay? Go, go. Anyway, sorry, yeah. Jesus. Faucets okay. are, are cute. Uh, a lot of people don't like them, but I like to have them around because they are very efficient hunters. Uh, and they, okay. the only problem is they make webs in corners of, of rooms. What the f- <laughs> it really had you in the middle of nowhere. It must have dropped from the ceiling, my goodness. Okay, yes. Um, so, uh, what was I talking about? Outdoor cats. <laughs> Sorry. Outdoor cats, yes. So, outdoor cats are an interesting phenomenon, right? Um, uh, in Singapore, unfortunately, and this is, you know, why, why it's so, such an important topic. In Singapore, I have generally tried to avoid talking about this issue because mm-hmm. of the incredibly violent and emotional responses that cat owners have, uh, cat lovers have, yeah. not cat owners yeah. per se, but people who like feed stray cats as well, yeah. have about any uh, notion of culling cats. Yeah. Right. But research in the US, yeah. research in Australia, and even more recently research in China has shown quite clearly that outdoor cats, feral cats, free-roaming cats are responsible for the deaths of billions of animals, not just birds, but rodents, among other things as well, right? Cats are effectively the most destructive invasive species on earth. Um, And so there needs to be, uh, you know, some kind of control measure about outdoor cats. And never mind, you know, never mind the deaths that, that cats cause. Even if you say, oh, you know, I don't give a shit about wildlife. Cats that live outdoors are exposed to a huge array of stresses, you know, trypanosoma, um, you know, disease from other other sources as well. And also the threat of being poisoned by eating inappropriate food or deliberate poisoning by people. So keep your cats indoors. Yeah. So I think that that was a case of a a cat let outdoors, came Mm. back with tremors and seizures, rushed to the vet. And you're like you have no idea what the vet, uh, what the cat has been fed, right? The mm-hmm. vet tells you Tylenol poisoning, mm. and you just have to be like, well, the cat didn't get it from us. Well, nope. I mean, yep. yeah, I'm sure you're a, you know, I'm sure you as an owner know what you're feeding your cat, but who you know, when else cat is gets feeding up your to cat? Outside. Yeah, so keep yeah, your bloody exactly. cats indoors. I think that that really should be the moral moral of the story. You know, just don't let yeah. your cats roam around like willy nilly because it's not good for anyone. Not for wildlife. Not for the cat. For yeah. But yeah. the problem is this issue gets people very very emotional. Uh, I know researchers who've gotten death threats from cat lovers uh, because you know they're 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 saying things about cats that cat lovers don't like. I think that's right. that's really unfortunate. And I mean, unfortunately, here that, there is yeah. Sorry. I mean, I get that there is an you know you feel an emotional connection, right? Mm. Um, and obviously that's important whenever you're talking about companion animals. That's the whole point mm. of having a companion yeah. animal, right? Yeah. Um, but like the line between something like <coughs> Peter and mm-hmm. yeah, you, you know. You know, and um, your I don't I don't want to say like your typical rescue organization, but the line this this is why you end up with a situation where people don't trust Peter because they don't trust them to adhere to the science, right? They expect yes. Peter to take an extremely militant view, yeah, uh, and then it just becomes 
you you have no scientific grounding um, for what you're you're saying, and mm-hmm. to the degree that people want the ethical treatment of animals, right, to be based on some kind of of science, then they will just disregard Peter as a as yeah. a as a as source a reliable, of information. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is an interesting uh, state of affairs that we have with regard to animals. Uh, and, it, it, you know, unfortunately, it is difficult to, to, to yeah, you know, to resolve some issues be- just because the general public has been so thoroughly misinformed about certain issues, uh, whether it's feeding animals, whether it's letting cats roam around. Um, and, you know, which is why actually, I mean, much as, you know, Bondi Vet is probably some has probably some level of sensationalism australian tv is a little bit on the sensationalist and yes you uh, can kind of tell it's yes. probably you know fairly useful program as far as public education is concerned as well yeah definitely i mean i firstly i'm surprised right the degree to which people um know about and follow this show for one <laughs> but i think that's partially because you know it's big in australia and not so much elsewhere well, the power of facebook uh, watch as well. Yes, yes. I know. I mean, that got me thinking about about civilization and um, mm. what they call tourism, right? Or cultural yeah. pressure. Right? Cultural pressure. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that is the term, like cultural pressure, where where your cultural exports um, create some kind of, um, you know, cultural or economic pressure on. Yep. your neighbors and so you have things like for example if you send a trade route to another civilization that exerts <laughs> a little bit of cultural pressure or tourism pressure, okay. pressure yeah. right uh, if you border another country another civilization that exerts a little bit by itself um, if you have like great works of art <laughs> not not saying yes. that what I is a great work of art but I mean <laughs> it isn't you know you are you are doing some kind of abstract modeling right yeah. So in this context, <coughs> right, Bondi Vet would be a, a great work, right? When you have great works, that exerts a little bit of of pressure as well. Mm. And I mean, I'm for me at least, um, Australia has not really been on my radar. And now I find myself thinking, I, I really want to visit. <laughs> I mean, I, and, I, I just um, want to visit Australia because the wildlife there is insane. And I say this in the yes. best possible terms. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm I, looking at... I'm looking at, I mean, look at some of the wildlife that passes through the show. Yeah. Like, what the heck? Well, I mean, you know, it's obviously, you know, you, you want to penguins. view these things. You want to view these things with with trained experts or people who know what they're doing. So you don't want to be looking yeah. at like crocodiles in Queensland, uh, you know, just standing in the water on your own, unprotected. Yeah. No, you want to be, you know, sufficiently distant from them or things like uh, yeah. uh, 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 taipans or, or cassowaries, yeah. whatever. Cassowaries are terrifying. You know, I mean, people think oh, yeah. cassowaries are cute. Blah, blah, blah. They, they are bloody terrifying. You know that that claw that they have can can disembowel you. Like Which that. I learned from watching yes. Bondi Vet. Bondi, they're very good. I mean, I'm yeah. sure they would have shown the, the the foot because it's bloody hell. It's really scary. Yeah, they show they showed the foot. They did not show it yeah. disemboweling anybody because I, these are trained professionals. Yes, but you know, cassowaries are gen- I'm, 
sorry, people people have this. I mean, this is something that you know, as as someone who's a wildlife professional like myself, um, it's all these misconceptions. People have these um, you know ridiculous misconceptions about how certain animals are cute or cuddly or nice. Like for example, bears, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> elephants. Yeah. We are trained from you know popular culture that oh, bears are cute, bears are cuddly, elephants are cute, elephants are gentle beasts. They are yeah. not. Elephants are incredibly mm-hmm. dangerous. They are one of the most dangerous animals in the forest. Don't mess around with elephants. Same with cassowaries. Same with kangaroos. These are wild animals. Wild animals are wild. And so, yeah. they, you know, they have to be treated with the same respect as you would treat any wild animal, whether it's a tiger or, you know, a, a wild boar. So, I, I, yeah. I mean, as you were saying all that, I already mentally like fought away like five things to talk about. So, mm. um... Firstly, there is an episode where they uh, there have been several episodes with uh, alligators and crocodiles already. Yep. Oh boy. There was there was one episode where Cro- alligators. Um, I don't think alligators in Australia are there. They say alligators gators. I I well, don't know if they just mean crocodiles. Yeah. Probably crocs. Like, yeah. So there was actually an episode where uh, because th- I think starting from like season four or five, they had a regular section with. Um, Tim Faulkner, who runs uh, Aussie Ark, which mm. is a, a conservation program for breeding basically animals that are endangered in the wild. So it started yep. with the, Tas- the Tasmanian devils because Devil, uh, yeah. they are endangered yeah, in Tasmania. And there is a devil face eating tumor. Yes, correct. Uh, in fact, I saw a presentation about this. Uh, I listened to a scientific talk about this not too long ago. Um, yeah. There was a recent because uh, you know, obviously now in in the age of of the pandemic, everything is online, and so you can actually listen to talks from halfway around the world yeah. fairly easily. Yeah. Um, but this was a researcher who was giving a seminar at UNM. Um, he was right. talking about how um, infection rates actually are probably cyclical in the wild in in nature uh, of this right. uh, double facial tumor, uh, and the problem, right. of course, is that this is a socially transmitted disease, and yeah. so you know you need to contain. Uh, populations, n- not just individuals, um, to ensure that yeah. the virus doesn't spread as, as widely as it as, as it does today. Right. Yeah. So um, Tim Faulkner started. It started as Devil Ark, and then now it's become mm. Aussie Ark, or mm-hmm. Aussie Ark, I guess. Mm. Um, so it is a program in New South Wales to basically. <laughs> Noah's Ark, right? But for Tasmanian yeah. devils to yeah. have a population of healthy Tasmanian devils that so they can at some point, hopefully they can release into the wild or in the absolute mm-hmm. worst case, if they can never release these back into the wild because of the tumour, then mm-hmm. at least there is a population of Tasmanian devils. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Tim Faulkner runs that and he has a regular portion on the show where... Um, because the thing is, when you're in, when you have vets in Sydney, you get basically small animals. Mm. Occasionally, the vets venture out into, you know, like farm territory, and then you get livestock. Um, yep. But wildlife is its own specialty, right? And obviously, these vets, yep. you know, they are, they are occasionally called up to zoos and reservations and so on for yep. checkups. Um, but it's not. They're bread and butter, pretty much. So they added mm. in, um, they added in like Tim Faulkner as a wildlife section. So at the time of the filming, he was um, operations manager at the Australian Reptile Park. 
Oh, okay. And there right. is there's actually a segment where they had a new zookeeper, a junior keeper, and um, Tim was trying to teach him how to <laughs> feed the crocodiles. <laughs> right. And uh, you have this completely green keeper, right? Oh, no. And yeah, and so Tim is like teaching him and cueing him. It's like, okay, get get the crocodile up, up, like dangle it. But yes. okay, more between mm-hmm. his eyes and higher, mm-hmm. higher up. You want him to jump out of the water. Okay, and then the crocodile jumped, grabbed the chicken, which I have learned yeah. is called a chook in Australia. Uh, yes, in Australia. Yes, Austra- uh, Australians love their, their, their little... Uh, I which was is so why confused. The, the, the black-headed the ibis... Uh-huh. Uh, the black-headed ibis, which is a common bird in Sydney, is called the bin chook because it eats oh, and drinks oh the bin God. juice from the it's it's <laughs> bin juice from bins. <laughs> oh my God! Okay, it's a lovely yeah. name, the bin chook. <laughs> yeah, and so this crocodile jumped up, grabbed the grabbed the chicken, and then didn't let go. <laughs> so this junior keeper is just there with a pole with a chicken on one end and the chicken is in the crocodile's mouth and the crocodile <laughs> is just swimming away. Yep. The crocodile is swimming away and the keeper is like, uh, uh, how do, do I, I do? get this back? Yeah. And like, finally, the the alligator like released the string, basically. What you're, okay, what you're waiting for them to do is they, they swallow. Yes. And then yes, you can pull the pole back. Release. Yeah. Correct. Yep. Fun times. And, I mean, um, you yeah. know, this is uh, uh, why I I never ever entertained a job of working at the zoo. In fact, I was I was quite scarred because I know I interned at the zoo back in secondary school. I don't know. I I may have like there were like five of us from Dublin High that were that that were sent to the zoo for some internship. I don't know why or when that happened. I don't even know if I applied. But regardless, I, I was at the bird it park. It was some kind of it was some kind of like um, not a work attachment exactly. No, no, no. Mm. It was a thing where I think we were in you know we were in sec two so fourteen. And then they were like, okay, ah, yes, like, yes. write down your interest areas and then we will send you for like three days. Is it? To, uh, because to I remember workplace, doing yeah. two, I remember doing two work attachments. I spent time at the Underwater World and at the Bird Park. Underwater World, I mean, may have been that. Are you sure it's not the there, I remember, service learning I remember working two places. There was, no, Underwater World was a visit and service learning, I think. Yeah, Underwater World was service learning. Okay, and then yeah, the the zoo yeah. thing was probably a separate thing. So the bird park thing, uh, I I and I, I mean, okay. To be fair, now that I'm on the other side of things, in the way you have to deal with students, you have, you realize that when you <laughs> school sends you a bunch of students, you know, fourteen uh, year olds, and uh, say, oh, these are your interns, you have to find something for them to do. <laughs> yes. Right, and so it's usually the most psychang of shit. I remember. Um, I was assigned to the Bird of Prey. Uh, I don't think that's there anymore. The, the, the Bird of Prey walk. The Fuji Hawk walk uh, used to be called. Oh, oh my right? God. Because it's sponsored what by Fuji All right. Um, and it's okay. th- this, you know, this, this little walkway where on the side you have all these um, enclosures where the eagles and the owls will be kept uh, for public display. And so I was given a broom. <laughs> I was told, uh, oh, go okay. and sweep the leaves. <laughs> go and sweep the leaves. And so, okay, I sweep the leaves. And as I'm speaking this, I saw one of the keepers trying to take out a golden eagle for the, the for, for you know for some kind of educational thing or for show, right? Um, and you know when you handle in, golden eagles are enormous, really really big birds, yeah, right? 
and he was wearing a, a, a thick leather glove that went all the way up to the middle of his forearm. So uh, the bird's supposed okay. to, to, to grab onto the, the leather glove and it's supposed to perch there. Unfortunately, this bird overshot and grabbed onto the unprotected part of his arm and he was, the guy was bleeding like crazy. And so that was oh, like, man. holy shit. You know, and you know, again, wild animals, it's hard to control. Um, of course, you know, uh, af- after I swept the leaves, I was told, I was, I was given a, a horse and I was told, go to the back of the shed. Um, we've just received our daily delivery of horse meat from the turf farm, uh, turf club for, uh, for, for, for the birds of prey. I wanted to spray down the, the trough because <laughs> it's full of blood. Yay. <laughs> Yay. That was, that was fun. Uh, it's okay. It's I mean, I was I was assigned to the Singapore Dance Theatre, and oh. then for three days, no we, horse blood. I'm assuming, <laughs> no horse blood. For three days, mm. we put, uh, we put pamphlets in envelopes and uh, cranked, cranked the envelopes. So, um, among, I think the most interesting thing that happened during that time was I discovered that the Singapore Dance Theatre has somebody on its mailing list. Who goes by the name Male Dragon? Male Dragon. That's what they yeah because you you get the mm. the mailing labels and then oh yep. yeah that's also what we did you know you put yep. the 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 pamphlet in then you tear off a mailing label you stick it on the front and then you frank it and that's what we did for three days uh, and the only entertainment that you have is looking at the names of people. And their addresses mm. and being like, oh, this guy lives around the corner. Yeah, the male dragon lives around the corner. But I don't I think know. I think my balance had is. a better experience. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and then you hear, um, like, I mean, we were working in the office with the other Singapore dance theater people. And then yep. you basically hear the full time staff dealing with um, Tiger Mums. Calling them oh and being God. like, hey, would you like to, you know, your child came down for an audition. We would like them to come a second time. <laughs> dance <sighs> moms. Stuff like that. The worst yeah, kind of tiger moms. moms. And then you hear <laughs> the full-time staff hang up the phone and then going like... <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> another one of those. Yeah, exactly. So, um, very good for knowing what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Anyway, going back to the alligator thing... Um, there Crocodile. was a point where uh, Chris Brown, who is the mm. eponymous Bondi vet, yes, um, yeah, because there are, there are actually three vets that are featured in the in the from the beginning. Okay, um, there is there is Chris Brown, uh, mm-hmm. who is a vet GP. Then there is Lisa mm. Chimes, who is an emergency vet. Oh, and wow, there is Andrew Marchewski, who is a surgeon, a right. vet surgeon. And um, they are all very comfortable on camera. Ridiculously photogenic, right. yes. Yeah, but Chris Brown is clearly the guy that they put all their marketing around because he is... <laughs> it's It's one of those cases where you... <laughs> There is an epi- there is an episode in like season four or five, where, where um he's he goes to a farm to look at somebody's cow, uh, the cow has milk <laughs> fever, and um, I'm, I'm sorry woman, milk fever, uh, apparently it's a thing, <laughs> okay. it is a thing I don't know, yeah, and okay, and the owner of the cow is like, uh, I thought you were just an actor. 
<laughs> like the idea was that the idea was that like he plays a vet on TV, but the real vet, you know, is gonna advise him or something. And he's just like, I went to uni for five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to get insulted by people on TV. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, poor thing being so uh, so 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 photogenic on TV, you know. I know, right? Yeah. Anyway, um, why did I even bring this up? I have uh, no idea. Anyway, yeah. So he he got called to a wildlife park, and um, basically they they had. A crocodile that had tried to bite a steel fence. Oh, jeez, Louise. Yeah. And uh, I think this was in Adelaide. I can't remember. So, okay. yeah. So, they wanted him to check the crocodile to see if the crocodile had any, like, broken jaw or any anything. Mm, and yeah. the checkup is 30 seconds, right? Because he's literally <laughs> just checking. Is the jaw broken? Yep. yep. Is the tooth broken? Um, but getting the <laughs> the crocodile... Subdued so that the vet can yeah, check no it. shit. <laughs> is like is a whole operation. It's a thing, right? yeah. Okay, and the crocodile is like four point five meters long, and his oh, name oh. four is... and a half meters. That's a huge crocodile. Holy shit! Yes, and his name is Agro. <laughs> <laughs> and there is this bit where where Chris Brown, Doctor Chris Brown, not Chris Brown the rapper. Uh, where Doctor Chris Brown says to the says to the keepers, like, didn't didn't this crocodile arrive as a as a group of nine at the zoo? <laughs> and the keeper just casually nonchalantly says nonchalantly says, uh, yeah, he killed the rest. Oh, Agro is about right. Yeah, jeez, Louise. Yeah. yeah. Oof. And yeah, seriously, it's a whole operation. They have one rope around his snout yep. and then a second rope around his snout and then oh, the, another thing I learned is that the crocodiles roll over when they're trying to free themselves mm, from yes. um, from a threat and so yep. they have these two ropes around the snout and then there is a, a lead keeper I guess who's like okay pull okay re- release he's gonna roll and then <laughs> just these like coordinated tug of wars with like a chain of like five people on either end yep. <laughs> and then it's like okay relax he's gonna roll that kind of thing and then finally what they do with the with the alligators is um they put a stick or a log in the mouth and then the alligator clamps down on it and then you can inspect the yeah, mouth yeah 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 that's a some, reflex except for some cases where if you need to inspect the esophagus. Oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake! Yeah, yep. Yeah, because of Again, what this happened is in why one case, I don't deal with live animals. Yeah, in in, in one case, um, a visitor <clears throat> reported that at the Australian Wildlife Park, uh, he he was out there for a routine check, and then okay. suddenly, I I mean I assume this is not staged, just because I can't mm. imagine the logistics of it, <laughs> and I say this as a as a former documentary filmmaker. Um, hmm. He's up there for a routine check, and then somebody comes in and says, um, a visitor has reported that, you know, 
she saw an alligator. She saw a crocodile with a plastic bottle in its mouth, and Ooh, then a right. moment later, the plastic <clears throat> bottle was gone. And oh, so shit. they have to check whether the uh, the yep. crocodile swallowed it. So they go out. Yep. They do this song and dance of you know poking the crocodile, drawing them on yep. land, and then instead of putting in a a, a, a stick sideways, they put in a PVC pipe lengthwise. Oof. Yep. So the Oof. crocodile clamps down on the PVC pipe, yep. and then the vet has to reach in with his hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reach it with the with the entire <coughs> hand and see if there is any blockage in the esophagus. <laughs> yep. Yep. And there wasn't, so you just reach in, <laughs> nothing. Okay, take out your hand. That's it. Oh, but dear the song I mean, and dance you know, I, yeah, is yeah. and and the actual act of putting your hand into a crocodile's <sighs> mouth. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, fun times. Anyway, yeah, this is actually almost I think two episodes worth of material. It's <laughs> I think this is fine. We can, we probably should stop here. I think we probably should, but unless yes. unless uh, we want to, you know, talk even more about. <laughs> but I think this I, is a good I, ending I, point because at this I point I'm so just going to repeat the entire the entire series. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm surprised that they've been nominated. I mean, they not they've been nominated, but not won uh, the Goat Logies. They were nominated in um, 2015-2016. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what else won. I'm presuming I'm, there are other shows <laughs> that are of equal I'm quality. Sure. I mean, I'm sure. Let's but this see. one has what, let's see what won lasting that power. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, hang on. So, yeah. most popular reality I mean, program, The Block. No idea what, what? that means. Uh, okay. Yeah, apparently the, the program that won is called The Block, but it was running against My Kitchen Rules, Bondi Vet, Bondi Rescue, and Big Brother. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Bondi Rescue and um, Bondi it's Rescue and Bondi Vet things, yes. is <laughs> because obviously they operate in the same area. Yes. Yeah, and the, the Bondi lifeguards occasionally find animals. <laughs> I see, yes. Yeah, fair. Yep. <laughs> and so yeah, so I'll be looking at the YouTube comments, and occasionally when the when the lifeguards are involved, people will be like, "Oh, I'm glad so and so saved the cat." And I'm like, "How do you know the names of the lifeguards?" Because they watch Bondi Rescue. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, in 2016, they lost Best Factual Program to Gogglebox Australia. Which Gogglebox is? is a TV program where you watch people watching TV. And these people watching TV give live commentary. Oh, yes. All right. It's a British thing. Okay. Okay. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, I think anyway. we can probably wrap up. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, we are on episode 21. Although the last yeah. published episode as of right now is 17. Because yeah. I've edited episodes 18 and 20. I have not published them yet. Mm. I'm waiting for 19 <laughs> to be done. Mm. Fair. Whoops. Fair. Okay. So uh, this is episode 21. You can find the show notes at monkeymind.xyz slash 021. And we will see you sometime. Yes, whenever. Whenever. Bye-bye. <laughs>